This is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay with Cynthia Lagodzinski as my guest host. Say hi, Cindy. Hello. How are you? (laughs) This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. We are sponsored, as always, by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Sleifler. Central Works. Reinventing theater, one play at a time. As always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring us and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara. I have two wonderful ladies here with me on this wonderful Saturday morning, close to afternoon, Cynthia Lagazinski and Adrian Dean. Ladies, how are you? Really good. That was an awesome intro. <laughs> I've I've been practicing it. We've been doing it for a while. It's funny, when we first began the yay, we didn't know what we were doing, Norman and I. We were just, hey, let's just talk, you know, let's have a podcast, and we'll talk about the things that we talk about, you know, at when we're at dinner or something Mm -hmm. like that. Just theater, you know, talking crap. Let's put it on the podcast. And then all of a sudden, we bring in guests, and guests have issues that they want to talk about, and then it just ballooned into what it is right now. And I think we're in our seventh season. Wow. And you guys are a part of that. You know, you were, I think, all part of... um, Let's see, we did, uh, Adrian, we had you on five years ago, episode 82, and Cynthia, you were on 96, that was, uh, we were just talking about that, that was uh, uh, January of 2017, 2017, a week after Trump was elected, Mm. Yes, and we were talking about how we were like, oh my God, what is it going to be like, and I I was hoping that Trump would just make a mistake so that people will be revealed, he will be revealed to the people, and my naivete. <laughs> right. I have a I have a theory as to what it would take for people to actually turn against him, and it's not the kind of theory that can be announced and recorded. Yeah, I don't so want you. I don't get you, get you in trouble. Is what I think. We'll it talk would take. later. We'll talk later. <laughs> well, I mean, it's 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 nuts. Well, before we get into that, how are you, ladies, doing? Uh, you just finished doing uh, Anna Christie. At least this version. You're going to continue to do that in. Ireland. <laughs> yes. Once. Yeah. One night only. Yeah. One We're night song. only. Uh, Yes, we just finished, um, how do I put this the best, a sold-out run. Yeah. um, Very well supported by a a team who Mm -hmm. helped us squeeze in people Mm -hmm. (laughs) after it was sold out. Um, Have to shout out to my Mm 12-night cast who really helped and supported me. May I take pictures? Oh gosh, yeah. yeah. Okay, but sure. only my good side. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't have a bad side, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> she has to make one happen. I was looking on the website and yeah, it was sold out and yes. I'm so glad I'm so sad that I wasn't able to see it. But the history is really interesting. I will get more into that. Hmm. The history of Anna Christie, nineteen twenty one, written by Eugene O'Neill. Pulitzer Prize winning yeah. play. Yeah. It, it almost bookends, um, I want to say, Ibsen, I think it was Ibsen. No, uh, I get Ibsen and Chekhov mixed up. But I think it was Ibsen, uh, A Doll's House. Mm-hmm. Before. Nora. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. for sure. And there are parallels to that. Constantly com- compared. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. So, And you, you know, when you were last on, you were talking about wanting to get back into directing. Right. And you did. You yes. did an all-woman cast of yes. King Lear. And we've been pushing it at nausea. I don't know if you know that. I noticed that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Which was great. So, yes, we uh, just uh, finished our run at the... At Labor Day weekend with Silicon Valley Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. So there at Silicon Valley Shakespeare, we are committed to doing an all-female Shakespeare every other year. Oh, so yes, so I was assistant director for the all-female Hamlet a few years back, which nice. was great. And then this year was King Lear, so we had King Lear as our all-female show. And I have no idea what it'll be two years from now. I was now. about to ask. <laughs> yeah, be? because when I think of King Lear. I mean, it's so it feels so male dominated. Like mm. you know, this titular, you know, um, 
um, paternal man who, you know, is nearing the end of his life and he has these family issues. Well, how was it? It was great. And I'm actually writing a paper that I'm hoping to submit to the um, uh, Shakespeare Association of America as Mm -hmm. an essay as part of my thesis because I'm in a master's program right now at SF State. And so my work in King Lear's... um, getting in, in integrated into my thesis Very nice. there. Yeah. And one of the issues I'm putting forward is do we hear the show of King Lear differently when it's when with all female voices? Do we yeah. hear the themes differently? Do we understand or question anything differently? Yeah. And my theory is yes we do. Because all of a sudden mm-hmm. if you go and Google my paper is all about the misrepresentation of women in the show and the fact that the two daughters, mm-hmm. the two older daughters who uh, profess their love for their father and mm-hmm. they're always put off as the villain throughout all of Shakespeare's history except even yesterday I'm doing research um, Shakespeare deliberately writes them with more justification for feeling uncomfortable than is in the source material mm. so in the original source material for example Lear just comes with 30 knights but in Shakespeare's version he comes with a 100 so mm. he changes the stakes of yeah. what they're up against, and I, I don't know why. But since um, he gives them all this justification for feeling threatened, yeah. I feel threatened with a hundred knights with weapons in my home, right? Um, supporting whatever my dad wants. And then instead, mm-hmm. uh, we go through the next two hours of the play, and Lear keeps claiming, those girls threw me out, those girls sent me to the storm, and they mm. never do. Yeah. It is not in the text that they ever say anything to him about get out. I've always, um, so yeah. I'm writing a paper on that. But because a man says it for two more hours on stage, that's what every synopsis says, that those mm. girls kick him out. Mm. So that's what I'm I want to writing. Read that. Yeah, so I we'll do, see. I have been wondering how Shakespeare treats women, you know, just looking at like Ophelia and Desdemona mm. and whether there's an unfair treatment. I don't even think that in Shakespeare's time there were actual women on stage. I think, you know, there no, were men. No, were not. Right. right, exactly. So I wonder if there needs to be a relooking of Shakespeare to examine, you know, if there's misogyny or if there's a way to <clears throat> to create characters, Shakespearean characters of women, which are more emancipated than, you know, what, what, what it mm. was. Yeah, and so I, I feel like in Lear it's one thing to look at why the source material has is different than what Shakespeare wrote down. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm going through all these things to see what he changed and what was different. And what's interesting to me is that if he gives them more justifications to be upset and concerned and re- rebelling against their father's wishes, mm-hmm. uh, why is it that it had no effect? Like, we still perceive just what mm-hmm. Dad says. My, my first instinct is, I'm, no, I'm no Shakespeare scholar, but for the stuff that I have been able to do or, or get excited about, including Cordelia, mm-hmm. Um, is um, is that we can read all of his women from a feminist perspective. Yes. We can. We often don't, mm-hmm. but it's possible. Yeah. Which is a nice challenge. I mean, even I think one of the more controversial ones these days is Timmy of the Shrew. Yes. I, oh, yeah. I think, yeah. I think Catherine's got something that maybe we're missing. And I think yeah, Everybody yep. does, and you know it's, it's interesting you mentioned Taming of the Shrew because every time you see let's say My Fair Lady or some other modern interpretation of that it's usually oh this is a crass woman let's make her into a refined lady mm. which is a male's perspective of you know we're going to make her more palatable to us <laughs> yes instead of just you know letting her be I mean and, and looking at her as more of an independent mm. uh, woman well what we consider the wildness animalistic 
mm-hmm. element of her that has to be tamed and controlled is the fact that she speaks out, she stands up, she refuses to bow to, well, her father's not even in the play. Mm-hmm. So whose will is she bowing to? It's not her father, it's her uncle. So, um, yeah, and I think Shakespeare's women, what impresses me is that there are so many elements of strength and power and different things, despite the fact that he wasn't allowed to use women on stage. And so I think what's fascinating Mm -hmm. is what gets in there anyway, and what he's allowed to do, and I'm sure the fact that for most of his writing career, there's a woman in charge of the country. Mm -hmm. So what he presents as a woman... Is very important. Yeah. And so, yes, I think we should reevaluate all of them that way. Yeah. I and mean, they, they have been since the 70s, completely reevaluating Shakespeare's women. It's kind of an ongoing, fun thing to get apart, you know, to yeah. jump in on. And it all depends on who's doing the rewriting and who's doing the directing mm-hmm. and what their vision is. As yep, as always. And their um, concept of, you know, what a woman is and what a woman should be. Yeah. But, it's, but it's really great. I was going to ask you, did you poll the audience? Did you have them do surveys or things like that? You know, I should have. Uh, that would have been super fun. <laughs> I did poll people randomly because I'm on the board at SVS. And so I was there quite a bit volunteering to support the performances. And I would talk to people afterwards. And some of the feedback I got were things like, oh, it's the first time I, I sort of felt bad for Lear. <laughs> and I, I feel like, um, you know, I, I understood him better and, and different things. And I thought that's good. If you read King Lear, I'd, I'd, I'd never read it or seen it before I started working on it. Um, he's really not very nice. And so one of my goals was to take this character and give him a reason for being so uncomfortably um, mean in my book. Mm-hmm. So that was one of our things. So I didn't actually get after... Um, if they heard things differently. I think the most interesting thing about all-female Shakespeare is how quickly you don't notice. You just don't even notice. You go in, you sit down, you're like, huh, it's all women, and then you forget about it. Yep. It's fascinating to me. I think that's the part I like the best. Mm-hmm. So. It's fascinating. You mentioned King Lear, the character, as a mean man. Usually yeah. it's... And putting it in a women's perspective, I've had some conversations with um, some interesting... Just a little bit of what's going on with, with what's going on with me. So I left after 26 years the San Francisco District Attorney's Office, whose DA is Brooke Jenkins, a black woman. Ah. I'm now come to the Alameda District Attorney's Office, whose DA is a black woman, Pamela mm. Price. And I've been in contact with, I would consider powerful women. <laughs> and usually the conversation is, wow, I have to, you know, listening to the woman's perspective, I'm in this position of power, but I have to sort of adjust my emotions or people are asking me to adjust myself because I may be too intimidating. Mm. I'm sure, you know, you either of you may have gotten that in your in your lives where it's like, you know, I, I'm I'm asserting myself like I'll give you an example. So uh, the last production that I was involved in was Radio Golf. Um, there's a wonderful black company called Lower Bottom Players, and they've taken over the flight deck. I don't know if you guys know mm-hmm. that. No, neat. And Dr. Ayodele Zinga is a very, very strong, prominent black woman who is really bringing um, actors, you know, um, black young actors who don't have a lot of stage experience. And they're getting on stage and she's teaching as well as, you know, providing theater for, you know, the black community. Nice. Um, but she is a very headstrong, powerful woman. And, you know, she, you know, she rules with it almost an iron fist pr- appropriately <clears throat> because that's what you got to do. And she had a conversation with, I guess, her landlord. She was going through some issues with her landlord. And the landlord was like, hey, can you lower your voice? And she was like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm speaking in my regular voice. 
And the signal was, we, you know, society, whether it be Kamala Harris, people are having problems with Kamala Harris because, I, I don't know, they're threatened by her. Society has a problem with dominant women, mm-hmm. I feel. Have you guys felt that at all? Sure. All the time. I'll let Dean talk. <laughs> no. no. And I want to tie back with uh, I want to tie back with uh, with King Lear because King Lear as a woman, and yes. let's say she's giving speeches that usually an older man would give. You know, some angry speeches, and you know maybe it triggers you know the stereotype of oh my god, this is a you know a dominant woman who you know is trying to you know I don't know cut people's balls off or something like that. Right. I think, yeah, that's a different part of the play. But um, uh, I, like I said, I think what's funny is that you you sort of forget that it's women. It becomes it's not a term I really love. It becomes kind of meta in that you are doing this show uh, mm-hmm. that is a male character, and I don't I don't put the women cast in beards, and I don't do full drag because I feel like it's too hard to do that authentically in a six week. Yeah, and why, and why process. should you? Yeah, and and it's it's. In my opinion, uh, in that kind of time frame, it doesn't really enhance anything because it's not. It would be very hard to get to the point where you're fooling someone that that's a man up there, sure, which can be achieved, and I really dig that. Mm-hmm. But it's not it's something I, I I want to attempt in six weeks. Um, hearing the anger and the frustration of Lear as a woman being played by a woman, it's still the same thing whether you're a motherly figure or a fatherly figure, and I I think. Um, I think the times in the research I did where it was a mixed cast, where it was a female Lear and male, mm-hmm. all the other normal uh, gender casting on the men, I feel like that would have been a far bigger uh, political statement mm-hmm. and a gender statement to make. Mm-hmm. And you would definitely hear the differences happening. And that was done at the Globe not that many years ago. Um, so in my production with all women, I think you level the field and you... You just hear it and experience it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's only in my research that I decided that maybe there's a difference of what people are willing to question about the text when it's all women. Because I think when women tell you things, mm-hmm. men are perfectly comfortable challenging that. Yeah, but yes. when a man tells you something for two hours, you accept why it. would I? Yeah, I just accept it. Right. And that was what I was getting to, the yeah. cliches and the breaking cliches those cliches. And breaking those cliches. Yeah. And I feel that... Um, to watch the show, I don't know. Uh, I, I take my non-theatrical husband with me to all these things, and and he just enjoys it. He mm-hmm. kind of he kind of gets puzzled by the uh, the all-female thing, and it kind of strikes him once in a while, where he's mm-hmm. like, "I don't get it. It's all." You know? And I just, and most of the time, he just goes along and ignores it. But yeah, I think to ask the questions to the audience, I had I received only positive feedback. I did Very not good. hear anybody. Mm-hmm. And then they would tell me something. I'd say, "Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear it. I'm the director." And they'd say, "Oh dear, you know, good thing I only had nice <laughs> stuff to say." And I'd think, "Yeah, that's right, lady." But you know, hey, that's the that's job. Of, that's job to be done with theater. And you were very open when you were on last time to talk about your family. And mm. you know, your I think you mentioned you and your husband don't have the same political uh, views. We are pretty. We're both diehard. Uh, Democratic Democrats, yes. Okay. Yeah, no, no. We're not very different uh, that way. Okay. Um, 
Because you had talked about your son and you were a little worried. Oh, that he... I was a little worried about my son. Yes. He was kind of floating into the angry white male mm-hmm. uh, Republican fold yeah. there at but that But maybe a youth thing. Maybe he's gotten yes, older and more he has gotten a mature. little bit over that. Yes. So... Not to apply, imply that to be a Republican is not to be mature. <laughs> right. Although these days some of the Republicans might even wonder if that isn't a mm-hmm. requirement of what they have to sacrifice to stay in their party. Yeah. Um, no, my son actually has definitely, we just went on a family trip to Ireland for two weeks in August and and we all kind of noticed that maybe he's sort of calmed down as he's gotten older and gotten a job and Mm -hmm. working with lots of different folks and starts to realize you know the world is not against you just because you're an angry white young man (laughs) I kept trying to tell him like no no you're actually at the other end of the spectrum of privilege you don't understand oh no they're all okay so yeah well sometimes you have to let life teach teach you so I'm very fond of you know, not letting school get in the way of his education. So it's <laughs> not a problem. That's a, w- a wonderful way of putting it. Um, I feel we've been dominating things. I know. Dean. I'm so with Dean's just nodding like, yes, yes, fascinating. But I do want to, li- I want, do want to learn so much about your experience doing Anna Christie yes. and, and all of that. There have been some current events going on. We've been talking a lot about women. Um, so... Justine, you're amazing. No, 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 no. Justine Lindsay is the first um, trans uh, NFL cheerleader. Uh, I'm so happy for the Carolina wow. Panthers who allowed her, who opened the door for her to, to be a cheerleader. And uh, Time Magazine wrote up a, a big article on her. So wow. that's fantastic. And when you think about the NFL, you know, male testosterone, you know, gridiron mm-hmm. football and all that stuff, uh, to know that... Uh, a, and. What's interesting, the Carolina Panthers, they were once owned by a guy named Richardson who got thrown out. <clears throat> he had to sell his team because he had been sexually harassing his employees. Yes. So, so you know, uh, it sounds like, you know, things are getting better regarding diversity, mm. um, especially in the NFL. And also, uh, there was a first woman uh, who, was a, uh, who played, in the, uh, played college football. That's cool. Who is not a kicker? That's she cool. was actually a linebacker. Oh, I know, amazing! <laughs> I'm really into Haley that. Van Voorhees. Oh. So, congratulations for Shenandoah Valley for allowing that to happen. Oh, I mean, it was a it was a blowout game, so they put her in, but uh, it was a wonderful statement. Well, how concussions great. across the board. <laughs> I, I love this because I was on in high school. I was on the football team as um, the captain of the statistician, the stats, uh-huh. the stat teams, and also the down markers, which we called the chain gang, which seems creepy. Yeah. Um, so I was in charge of all that. And then when it came to our powder puff game mm-hmm. in 1980 something, um, uh-huh. you know, all these girls in the 80s and our cheerleaders, which is who plays yeah. in the powder puff. They're all little sticks from, I don't know what was going wrong with them and their noses, but they had a lot of issues in the 80s. And so, of course, me being like a normal sized girl, uh, I was the nose guard. So I'm quite fond of any, I'm into women on the line because I had a good time. It wasn't like the lingerie league. I mean, you guys had pads and all that stuff. We did not have pads. It was flag for that day. Oh, flag football. I mean, not when I was. So no hitting. Oh, no, there was. There was hitting, but I okay. mean, I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> it was flag hitting. Was hey, flag there you go. This <laughs> little shoving. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's fantastic. So I'm again. very excited by that. I hadn't seen that. That's really wonderful. No, no, it's it's fantastic. So I'm getting the sense that diversity, you know, regardless of you know what we see. I mean, when it bleeds, it leads, and you know, when you we see these right wing stuff on today's news, we think, mm. well, that's what's dominating. But no, I've always felt that America's getting more and more um, liberal and more diverse. Um, friendly. 
I think so. I see it in my parents who are 90. Um, I see that their comfort with what is what would have been shocking and different to them 40 years ago is Mm -hmm. something they don't even bat an eye at, which is great. And they are much more open to uh, seeing people at any level, at any walk of life, any choice of life. They're they've really changed quite a bit. And I see I see them as my um, uh, my canary in the coal mine, you know, kind of experience. Yeah. Like what, if they're accepting of something, I believe more and more uh, yeah. regular folk from their generation. Do you feel that way, Dean? Do you feel like that, that, I don't know, uh, America, uh, regardless of what we see on CNN and Fox, is getting is more, I don't know, diverse or friendly? I mean, we may be in a bubble here, but I mean, you've, you've been around, so. <laughs> I've been around. <laughs> Uh, we are in a bubble, in a very bubbly, bubbly bubble. I don't know. I what I what I can feel is constant pushing forward, like like more and more passion across the board, though. Yeah. Um, f- for for better and worse. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think that generally, super generally, mm-hmm. is the right direction. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm talking both sides, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to a kind of a kick the bucket, give in to what's already what's here. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know what we're gonna see in the next rounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really don't know. Yeah, and, and not just politically, but I mean, I, I pay attention to what producers are putting on stage or on uh, television or and in the movies. You know, you get see when I see Billy Porter. You know, in a dress, you know, and freely walking along, you know, whether it be, I don't know, the Grammys or whatever it may be. Um, it just shows, hey, you know, we're, we're moving in the right direction, not just as far as diversity, but just, you know, being inclusive and producers saying, hey, we can't alienate our audience regardless of how we feel. You know, this is what it is and we don't want to need the blowback. Sometimes it's superficial. Sometimes it's like, well, we're going to get sued if we don't. Yep. But hey, you know, some, you know, if you have to be dragged and screamed into the future, that's fine too. It <laughs> might be how it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let me see some other things. This is an interesting thing. So Indian actor Amil Kapoor wins a court battle over AI. He is an Indian actor. And I guess there was a, uh, a someone stole his image and deep faked him in some um, movies or commercials or things like that. And he successfully sued. So then anyone who uses his likeness, they have to pay him. Yeah. I think this is the future. I think there are going to be more actors and actresses and, you know, just folks who are like, hey, you're using mm-hmm. my image. Give me some money. So. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it affects all of us. I mean, we're not, I don't know if any, I, we're not on, we deal with theater, so we don't have to necessarily deal with that. But eventually, you know, I could see, you know, all either of us you know being on film or whatever and but even like let me ask the two of you this so let's say someone takes a picture of you and all of a sudden you see your image on facebook or something like that i had to go through it like Mm. someone uh i did a production at theater rhino where i was wearing a dress Mm. because you know what's the big deal and someone posted it then i think i got a uh email or something from uh, my parents or a relative saying hey what the hell's going on i'm like what Im- where did you where are you seeing this image? Mm. Not that I care, but where where did you see it? So I can see how that can be. Do you guys worry about image and how people use your image? If, if like permission and things like that, Probably like when you do production, I should. Yeah, yeah, I, I haven't. 
thought of it much. Yeah. Also, well, like let's say production. Someone uses like I've seen your image just everywhere, Adrian, for Ad- for for uh, for the uh, Anna Christie. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. No, just for Anna Christie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you know because and that's you know okay, and, and you are the you know that's the likeness. But I'm sure there's other conversations between you and the theater company saying, hey, listen, we're going to take your picture and we're going to use you in you know in you billboards think, and things like I'm that. Trying to think if you we signed think, anything. I no. That's the thing. I, I don't think we did. I didn't sign a contract for that. I think this is why you know. Hmm. Unions exist, managers, agents exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fine with all of it because okay. I kind of knew what I was getting into, and it's also quite flattering at the same time. Yeah. But I think that's why contracts exist. So yeah. that um, maybe just AI is now going to be another level in that. Well, yeah, and I, I think it's very different given uh, working in a community theater level production versus. Uh, working in an equity house, a union house, where it's our primary revenue stream, it's our primary job, yeah. uh, I would be vastly more concerned mm-hmm. than I am at the level where I'm hoping for my stipend and that AB5 doesn't take it away. So mm-hmm. um, it, I would I would pay much different attention to those things, and I don't right now. Yeah. I mean, it's been, I know I've gone through conversations regarding video, like, let's say if I'm an actor and someone will say, hey, listen, this is a waiver. Can we use the video to do, you know, to post it here and there? And I've done that. Um, not so much with images as well. And like I said, I don't care either. But I can see how someone can say, OK, at least t- ask me <laughs> if you can use my yeah. image. Yeah. So so that there's that's what's going on. Um, there's the interesting. So I don't know if you heard of Mary Wood. She was a South Carolina teacher. She had the audacity to bring a book, Tainahashi Coates's um, book. I think it's um, We Are Four Years in Power or You're Eight Years in Power. It's the um, he wrote a a book on um, the the um, the presidency of Barack Obama, mm-hmm. but he also talked about you know like how he got there and race relations before and after and all of that sort of stuff. So he she was teaching at a high school in South Carolina. And she had been teaching there for a couple of years, and she actually brought, you know, books and other books on race to a all-white conservative, um, you know, student body. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were triggered, but some were like, you know, at the end of the year, they were like, okay, so, you know, thank you for the diversity and all this stuff and whatever. But this time around, uh, some students, she gave like a homework assignment, hey, listen, I want you to read Tanahashi's book and write up a, you know, essay on how you feel about it. And a couple of the students were like, no, we're not doing it. And not only that, we're going to report you. And she was reported. She went to, she, the school board got involved and she uh, was suspended. And I think there's a lawsuit going on. But uh, wow. reading the Washington Post article on this, and this was this week, she was heartbroken, not necessarily by the student, uh, the, by the school board, the but by the student. How old? <clears throat> how great? Uh, this is high school. So we're talking about 16, 17-year-old kids. Um, this has been going on for a while in America, especially the Deep South. Yep. Uh, you know, they're banning books. You know, um, the one um, um, school that banned Mouse, M-A-U-S, yeah. which is horrible. Um, I don't know how, um, if this is going to go away or if this is just a... a Bubble, you know, one of these days Trump will go away. So these right wingers who feel, you know, empowered mm-hmm. to uh, to push the boundaries to see what they can get away with. And we've been talking ad nauseum on the A 
about how abortion rights are being, you know, knocked down Mm -hmm. and the boundaries being pushed. I mean, there was one mother who was thrown in jail for crossing the line so that her daughter can get an abortion. Mm -hmm. So it's it's crazy. Oh, yeah. Now they're trying to go after you if you cross the state line. And, yeah. and still come after you, which is why we have new laws in California that protect anyone who come in. Mm-hmm. And I think Washington State put up some. It's very... Yeah. I'm always on the prowl for the next place to move to. And one of the things I check, actually, is to see where they stand on some of these things, because some places I will not go. Yeah, you know, I'm getting close to retirement age myself, and I've been thinking about it. I mean, I would love to stay here, but I'm just thinking how I can get more bang out of my buck. Yep. And I don't want to go to a red state. I mean, maybe I can make a change in the red state to turn it more purple and blue and all that stuff. But I don't need the, you know, I don't need the hang up. Mm -mm. I used to tell people, you know, especially people who live outside of America, are you free in America? I'm like, well, I'm in California. I'm free. Right. (laughs) It depends on where I am. Which is a hard. Yeah. In some cases. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. I'm not saying it doesn't happen in California, but I feel safer here than, let's say, in Alabama. And that's a horrible indictment on America itself. Yeah, um, but it's true. Yeah. Truth is important. Yeah, yeah. But um, I would think the millennial or the newer generation would be sort of post-race or po- or more diverse-friendly. And to hear young students, you know, basically, I don't know. Well, <clears throat> that's such a hard age to talk about because you've got to look at their parents. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they're adults. Mm-hmm. Both both they're at that age yeah know. yeah and the last thing before we uh we're not going to get to an origin story because we you know we <laughs> people can listen to episodes uh, 82 and 96 mm. <laughs> but plethos productions they put up a uh, a post asking a question they were asking actors what is your preferred rehearsal schedule and uh Go they say this. you know we could either do four weeks monday through thursday three hours and then the weekend six hours mm. so four weeks before we get on stage or six weeks monday through thursday three hours and then saturday for four hours or a eight-week schedule monday through thursday three hours do you guys have any thoughts on that how about yes. you cindy as a uh, director? i have lots of thoughts on this <laughs> um i have thoughts on this as an actor and as a director mm-hmm. in the bay area getting anywhere on a friday night is such a nightmare yeah that i am all about taking sunday afternoon or evening and having a, a nice relaxing four or five hour rehearsal block on a sunday mm-hmm. um and then having Monday through Thursday, just three hours a night. And I can tell you, when you're putting on a Shakespeare show, I don't know how they do it at Marin Shakes, but three hours a night, five days a week, 15 hours, that's not enough in a four-week time frame to actually do any deep dive on all the different things that could happen, um, or maybe should happen, I think, in rehearsal. So it's very frustrating, and I would argue that four weeks for us is tough. I would prefer six before tech and get that long weekend day mm-hmm. where you can have more time to do deep dive work on different things and maybe spare some folks who aren't the lead characters but are supporting you with three or four smaller roles. Maybe give them back a couple of their weeknights where they're not stuck in commute traffic for their $500 stipend that won't cover their gas. And so I have a lot of um, thoughts around this. And I know uh, one of my friends... Uh, who runs the Actors Conservatory at Las Positas College, they've gone to fewer rehearsals and they've put the pressure back on the students at the Mm. college level saying, come in prepared. Mm. 
and we're not going to be here five mm-hmm. days a week. We're yeah. going to do three days a week. And she said, actually, the less time and that slight um, increase of pressure to do your homework at home yes. as opposed to driving in yeah. has been really productive. And I thought, mm, okay, less time, more focus. But I think having that one day on the weekend with extra time to mm-hmm. sort of deep dive on things, that'd be my preference. And then having four four nights a week or even three. Mm. Yeah. What do you think, Adrian? I think Cindy made all the important points. <laughs> Excellent. My favorite companion on any talk show is Dean, who just agrees with me. <laughs> what, what I, I mean, what I love is when whole, whole productions led by the director, who of course are always doing a lot more work than I am aware of, with the producers and with the ads, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, when when they give options. Or when they, you know, I mean, it's 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 a given that they ask for your schedule even at um, auditions. But when they make it feel like it's really a team, um, a team effort, that's um, that's everything. Yeah. Now it's good that um, Plethos is putting this out there because a lot of companies are like, hey, this is what it is. And a lot of times it's you know renting. It's okay. <laughs> I go through this all the time. <laughs> it's the whistle. Exciting. But in any case, that reminds uh, me, I got to plug uh, Wayne Harris's Train Stories. Hey, there you go. There you go. We'll, we'll plug that. But um, a lot of times if you don't have the space, you know, you, if you don't have the luxury of having your own space, I'm thinking, talking about as a theater company, right. then you're handcuffed with, you know, when you can get into the space and how much time you have into the space. But me as an, as an actor and also as a stage manager, I've done, I've done two stage managing jobs uh, this year. Um, I kind of like, I like the six weeks um, where... Because you really don't, I, I can't imagine as an actor not having one day where you can spend five hours or even six hours deep diving and asking all those pertinent critical questions that you have as an actor. Hey, you know, can we explore this? Can we explore, you know, this scene? I want to, okay, I know we just rehearsed it, you know, for a half hour this way. Can we do it another way? Because mm-hmm. I have some ideas. And you don't have that time to play if you only have three hours. That's right. Because the director's like, hey, listen, I've got a schedule. And I've got things I've got to work on. So, you know, you guys work it out all, all by yourself. Yep. And there have been plenty of times where if I didn't have that time, I would invite my scene partner to come <laughs> you know, after hours. Right. But that's even tough because I got a, I got a day job. That's yeah. right. You do. So. And I, it's very hard when you're directing uh, in these larger casts with, you know, 12 people, 14 people. Oh, yeah. And trying to protect. I'm very conscientious of protecting their time and making sure that I don't call them in for four lines. So if it's four lines, you're not coming until we're two weeks from tech for mm-hmm. that scene because I don't want you to sit there. Yeah, I can't handle it, and uh, like it, it is distracting in the rehearsal hall to see people just sitting there while they wait for their ones. So I yeah. work very hard to to resolve and, that. And, and some actors get things. very upset. They're like, "Hey, I don't listen, want that. yeah, and I understand. You, I drove all the way here, and it's an hour, and I haven't been on stage yet. What the hell's going what on? The, exactly. And they have and every right to do so." They have Every right for that. And I try very hard to um, make sure the tracks line up so that one night we're doing this tract. And I don't care how much it jumps around the script. It doesn't matter because I'm protecting all these other folks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think this is a really key thing. Um, I also feel like uh, one of the silver linings of pandemic is it's given us this whole new tool to use with Zoom. And you can do table work across the phone, which we've done with Eugene O'Neill Foundation and our shows there. Mm-hmm. It's valuable. It's like we're going to be on the phone just chit-chatting. What's the difference, a table or a phone? call let's just do it and and save ourselves that gas and time stuck in our car so i feel like that's been one of the ways to really kind of uh, enhance the rehearsal process and give us that deep dive time that's just us 
talking. Yeah, yeah, that's which awesome. Is, which is good. I would love to talk about Anna Christie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who? Who? Right, exactly. No, you've been doing this. I think what was the run was a month that you did at the Eugene O'Neill House? Three weekends. Oh, it was just three weekends. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know why I thought. No, because uh, it, they usually do. This time they had new management, so they mm-hmm. were less, they were a little bit more cautious. Okay. Well, they've been <laughs> advertising it for a long time, so maybe that's why I'm thinking it was longer. <laughs> I, I, I would believe that. Uh, but no, I mean, just reading from, I did just some, you know, Wikipedia searches and other things, and it's a really interesting story. And from, uh, I think he wrote it in 1921. Um, and it's, it, you know, it, I have written down um, so many issues, you know, uh, how judgment, how society judges women, women's independence, reexamination of what is family. I think um, the story is a, um, there is a uh, individual who, um, is arrested. I think uh, Anna Christie falls in love with someone, but there are issues with her father. And I guess she has a past of being a prostitute. And, you know, when that's revealed, there's judgments calls on that. Uh, and then, you know, and in the end, um, well, I'll let you tell the story. I mean, what was, <laughs> what is the general plot? I know it's done now, but uh, what was your experience and, you know, what, what was Anna Christie to you? Oh, um, well, one, it's not done. We have to go to Ireland and do one show. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I, I am very lucky to have been asked to write a a small practitioner's piece oh, wonderful. for oh. the Eugene O'Neill Review mm-hmm. on doing Anna Christie. So that's keeping her like super alive and super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you got the gist of, you know, what... You know, you know what, what it is introduces us to the yeah. oomph of yeah. her because you have two men who are trying to define her hey you are my woman and this is how yeah. you should be and a man who hasn't spent a lot of you know a lot of the plot of Anna Christie is reconnecting you know the relationship with with the father because I want to say you <laughs> as Anna Christie uh, the father has not been, had not been a part of your life he abandoned her yeah oh yeah from yeah. the very beginning to um to live a life as a sailor that he that is who he is you know it's a large part of who he is but mm-hmm. also conflicted part of who he is yeah um yeah the men are not perfect mm-hmm. um, but neither is she yeah i think this is so awkward right she can't take a photo of me <laughs> well, we're no 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 okay 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 never mind I, sometimes i'm good I, at i've that. got enough <laughs> not when i'm talking about anna christie yeah um uh Sorry. But no, you were Sometimes you know you were mentioning that, no you were mentioning the father because I was getting to the point of men trying to define the woman and the woman saying no I'm going to define myself my own way. Yeah, uh, one thing I'm I'm really enjoying about discovering from her is that it's not as simple as that. I think that's a really um, correct and these days easy reading of Anna Christie, which is that she's having her fucking say. Mm-hmm. It's my turn, which is actually the the, the tagline of the Eugene O'Neill Fest Foundation Festival this year, mm-hmm. having her say, and that's Act Three's four page effective monologue. Yeah, <laughs> but I think what that monologue actually has been showing me, and then writing about her, not let alone feeling her, is that she's having her say with the men who are treating her like furniture, especially the father who abandoned her, who cannot admit it. Mm. Um, but really pretty quickly into that monologue, she's not talking to them. She's, she's just getting it out 
and she's talking to herself. Mm. There's a lot of um, shame mm. that is, I think, learned and 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 festers. Yeah, that just speaking, mm-hmm. screaming. Yeah. Um, confronts. She can confront herself, and I think the most important part of this whole story is that she's learning who she is and forgiving herself, and that's how I want to end it with her at the end of the play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just when you were talking, then I'm I'm looking at the poster of Hedda Gobbler. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh! Don't talk to me about Hedda Gobbler. I would love to do Hedda Gobbler. Oh, ha- oh ha- have you done Hedda Gobbler? Or no, you no, want I to? wanted to Hedda Gobbler. Oh, you would be yeah. perfect as Hedda Gobbler. I remember being a part of that there production. And um, what did you do? I was a stage manager. Uh, I would, you know, uh, but it was um, it was off Broadway West, and uh, I interviewed the woman as uh, um, Cecilia Palmtag, who played had a gobbler but there are parallels because this is a woman who also has a bow and who also has i think she has a husband and it parallels i probably parallels more you um ibsen where hedda you know is trying to help her husband with a manuscript um but she winds up burning the manuscript or the manuscript is destroyed and she is blamed for it but then the men realize oh wait a minute no she's not really you know to blame or whatever it's basically about men, you know, making an interpretation of what a woman should be. A woman is revealed who she is, or let's say a mistake happened, or she's blamed for something, and then they realize, well, maybe I'm just, maybe I need to just relax and just accept her for who she is. But the woman says, no, you know, it's too late. You, you it's like drinking from a cracked glass. Mm. My mother, my mother would always say that, don't drink from a cracked glass because you could. It's almost like you know the relationship is spoiled already. Mm-hmm. You can't go back. I think what's really, really interesting about a whole genre now that I'm seeing, and, yeah. I, and I'm, I'm going to reference it at, um, according to something that one scholar has really hooked me on, which is called a kind of a drama or melodrama of an unknown woman. Yes. Is is Ibsen, Hedda, um, is it's a Nora, Nora. It, and, then, mm-hmm. and then definitely Anna, let alone a bunch of 1940s, 50s films yeah. um, mm-hmm. that are right now basically forgotten. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking about Stella da- Dallas, for one. Um, but uh, is is that it's not she's not just unknown to him mm-hmm. whoever he is. Um, the story is that she she learns she is unknown to herself yes. and learns who she is. And at that point, once that if that happens, mm-hmm. and it usually does in these films. At that point, mm-hmm. then it's a broken glass, yes. and then she's not going to drink from it anymore because she knows herself, and that's not who she is. Right. That 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 man is not who she is. Right. Exactly. And usually you have the men who are like, hey. I forgive you, or I say everything's okay. So everything's okay. And they're just like, nope, too late. Right. <laughs> um, Cynthia, I want to bring you in. I mean, do you have a commentary on that? Because it really is about a woman, you know, because how are we defined? I, I would always say to myself, well, I see myself, I, I remember telling myself, I'm a writer, but I hadn't written anything. <laughs> what I said, I was like, how could I really define myself if I'm not doing? But a lot of times we're defined by what other people know us to be. And... We're like, well, if people see me as this, this is who I am. Until we say, you know what? I don't like how I'm being defined. I've got to define myself. And I know women um, go through that a lot. And, you know, we see that. And we see that in, in Nora and in Anna Christie and in Hedda. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Um, this isn't really quite connected, but uh, my the thing I watched recently was the whole Barbie phenomenon. Like oh, that film. yeah. And so last night we were out shopping, grabbing something for these trips we have to take, and, and I'm talking to the cashier, this middle-aged man, and I'm looking at some magazine talking about the Barbie phenomenon. And, 
And, um, and he says, oh, did you see the movie? And I said, oh, yeah, sure, I saw it. And he's like, oh, I haven't seen it yet. Should I go see it? And I said, yes, absolutely. And he said, oh, is it just like um, making fun of all our toys or, or, you know, girls' toys and stuff? And I said, no, no, it's not about that. It's actually about, if you think about it, how Barbie learns how she's perceived in today's world and how we see women. And I said, it's very, very interesting. I said, it is very funny. It's a satirical comedy, but you should absolutely go see it. And my poor husband's waiting for me and we get in the car and he's like, could you take any longer pitching that film? And I said, anytime I can encourage a man to go see that film, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. And I said, and I'll stand there and do it and have a good time trying to hook him in because... I feel like it is a very interesting thing to watch people's reactions to understanding how women are perceived and how much um, subtle oppression we experience. You know what? Yeah. I think it's fascinating. I mean, I've definitely been working in the office place since the late 80s as a woman, um, right? after high school and all through college working as a temp in Silicon Valley. And I've certainly stood next to a desk and had a man run his hand up my leg. I mean, I've experienced those mm. things. And, and so when I see stuff like that, I really feel like, yeah, that, and that's still happening today, yeah. you know, 30 years later, it's still going on. Yeah. Uh, and all, maybe not to me, <laughs> but, um, but still happening. Sure. And so, sure. um, I, I just feel like when it comes to being misunderstood, mm-hmm. um, I, I definitely understand that when you are a person who has a strong personality, mm-hmm. um, and I definitely don't like to put up with things like that. And I stood up in that situation, and I've stood up in others and said, "No, that's unacceptable." And mm-hmm. have my temp agency tell me, "Like, well, what were you wearing?" You know. So. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you don't understand when you're 19, like what it is you're experiencing necessarily, but it's yeah, true. And wow. when I watch a movie like Barbie and I see, you know, a woman who's a, a grown up, even mm-hmm. though she's a character, yeah. go out and experience our world with new eyes. And I think, yeah, we're not as far as we think, whether it's your uh, gender and your perception as a woman or whether it's your race. And mm-hmm. it's just a lot of things that we feel like progress is going on. Uh, but Yet how much happens. is it? It's yeah. still happening. Yeah. Um, you know, You know. I had two so. thoughts. Number one, I've told the story before. My mom was also a young woman who got into the uh, the corporate, well, not corporate, but government. Mm-hmm. Uh, we grew up in Washington, D.C. And she was one of the first black women with her Afro and her hips and all of that stuff in a corporate environment, you know, using the IBM PCs and mm-hmm. even earlier the Wangs and yes. whatever and having these white men you know, look at her. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she told me stories about, you know, like men rubbing, you know, their hands or, you know, rubbing even their crotch Ugh. on her shoulder. Oh, my God. Thinking it's okay. But realizing, hey, I can't make, I've got to keep this job. I've got to keep this paycheck. Um, so it's crazy that happens. That was my first thought. So it parallels mm-hmm. that. But also, I didn't want to mention it, but the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey thing. I mean, that's yeah, been going that? on. <laughs> Well, if you you haven't known about that, and it ties into what we're talking about here. So basically, Travis Kelsey is a football player. He's a two-time Super Bowl, you know, winner, uh, tight end, and he has a podcast, and he has this reality series. So he's an eligible bachelor. Um, And he, you know, he has been wooing 
one of the greatest, you know, pop stars ever. Wooing. <laughs> yeah, wooing. You know, you know, in one instance, you can say wooing, cyber wooing, or you can say stalking or whatever. But basically going <laughs> on her DMs and just saying, hey, you know, I'm going to slip you my number and, you know, give me a call and all that stuff. And she doesn't seem to think it's stalking. <laughs> <I don't> think <laughs> so. Right, exactly. So she appeared at the Kansas City Chiefs game last Sunday. Yes. And I swear to you, CNN... Slate Magazine, <laughs> Time Magazine, The Washington Post, the, you know, just newspapers just exploded with, you know, oh, you know, and it's like millions of people veering in on, it's like you're on a date and everyone's watching you. It's like, how's the date going? And someone like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Taylor Swift fans and women who don't usually watch football can get involved or, you know, football jocks can, you know, I don't know be a fan of Taylor Swift. But there was one article that talked about how women are put are put into pressure, especially, you know, famous women um, in these, you know, I don't know, pseudo dating things or whatever. It's like, you know, well, Taylor, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to go with him or not? Or, right. you know, tell us what you're going to do. And Taylor Swift, although she's a public figure, she's talked about how she wants to keep her dating life private. Mm. She She was asked to come to the game. She came to the game. And now everyone is like, you know, and who knows, maybe it's a media thing where she's manipulating the media to focus on that. Or uh, she just did a favor for Travis. Or maybe she is. She has a crush on a tight end. Who the hell knows? But there is this interesting thing about, you know, um, the miracle or the media focusing on this. I'm not even sure how old Taylor Swift is. (laughs) 30? I don't know. Yeah, 30 or whatever. But uh, all eyes on her. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Well, it was a good thing for their uh, marketing department because yes, it was. they sold out of his jersey oh, yes. within a heartbeat because yeah. as part of her invitation, I'm sure they sent her a jersey <laughs> and she wore it to the game and that was that. All and of she'll a sudden, sit, and sales she, went crazy. And the thing is, she was sitting next to his mom. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement for someone you've never met face to face. That kind of raises the innocence level for me, though. I feel like that he sits ne- she sits next to his mom. Yeah. Makes yeah. it seem a little bit more friendly and less creepy <laughs> in a lot well, of ways. Yeah. I don't know, just think to myself, you know, when's the last time I actually, you know, from the time I met a woman to the time I invite her to see my mom? It's usually, you know... <laughs> I don't know, a month Time or so. Time is different in that realm, I think. Uh, yeah, hey, I'm a Generation Xer or yeah, whatever. I don't know. I, I did see it on the news, mm-hmm. um, and I thought that was it was pretty funny. Uh, there's these two moms sometimes I see on Instagram, and they're like Taylor Swift, uh, I don't know. Swifties. And they think Yeah, Swifties. And they think it's, they think it's amazing, and they're really funny on, on their little whatever their podcast is. Mm-hmm. And uh, their husband was teasing them, saying, oh, yeah, he bought out a whole restaurant. And then when they cleared everyone out, he brought a cake to the table, and these moms are flipping out. And she's like, are you serious? He says, no, I'm making this up. And then he's just feeding into their fetish, and I thought it was so adorable. So I think it creates this... It, goes into our world of reality TV and what it is we get excited about these days. And, yeah. But do you, you know. think it's, do you think there's a darker side to it? Uh, I'll <laughs> ask you, Adrian. Uh, just, um, darker. well, there was an article where a woman was saying, wow, this is just another example of male toxicity. And, you know, there are these jocks who are like, hey, Travis, you know, you got Taylor Swift. They're even, you know, like um, Colin Cowherd and some um, sports reporters who are sort of, and gets into the, um, there, there's this like sports radio um, cliche or this genre of um, almost locker room humor. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, did you get some action and all that sort of stuff, you yeah. know, for Travis? And 
Um, I don't know if there's something um, oppressive. I mean, we can say it's a feel-good story, and you know, maybe Taylor Swift. You know, it's more of a marketing thing. But could it be darker or whatever? Or do you think there's anything? Um, of course. Yeah. It could be. It's probably both, depending yeah. on who you're talking to. <laughs> right. Exactly. But um, but getting back to uh, to Anna Christie, because the story does tie into how a woman is perceived, you know, like yeah. the, the image of the woman and who owns the image of the mm, woman. That's a beautiful way to put it. Who yeah. owns her image? Yeah. I might say at the beginning, she doesn't even know that she owns her own image. Mm-hmm. But by, but that's a, a journey she comes to mm-hmm. to learn yeah. and to own. Yeah. Um, actually, O'Neill is, I'm learning, quite quite good at, at presenting complex women um, and we're doing a, a reading in St. Louis next week for The First Man, which is a lesser-known O'Neill play. Mm. And Cindy plays an amazing O'Neill-written female character, mm-hmm. lead. Um, I cannot wait to do that. At Washington University? Washington University in St. Louis, yeah. And, oh my God, you should hear Cindy do the <laughs> rehearsals over Zoom. I've ha- I haven't had the pleasure of I was just talking to her about this. I haven't had the pleasure of um, seeing you do this type of character. Um, the types I think I've seen you. I definitely saw you in Sense Sensibility. And then what we've been able to do with O'Neill, they've usually either been nearly silent, right, or because um, or um, or or Marthy, mm. which is great, Anna Christie, Marthy character. But mm-hmm. this character is not just not just um, gentle and giving in a kind of a female capacity to a husband, but is it also growing into her voice? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you get to see an entire um, development over like one scene, in one scene, yeah, yeah, with her husband. Um, but O'Neill is 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 pretty dang good. Yeah, it's very interesting that way with his women. Um, I've done another show with the O'Neill Festival that was an adaptation of him and his wife, uh, Carlotta. Mm-hmm. And that was super interesting to mm. be in the character of his wife, who she was a very intense person herself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with the Anna Christie, I mostly I'm in I'm in the show with Dean, and uh, I'm in the first scene with her. Mm-hmm. And the interesting point of that, our dramaturg pointed out, it was the first time that two women are really on stage in Western theater mm-hmm. for ever. the previous hundred years. Yeah, ever. And they're definitely um, perceived as prostitutes. Like, certainly, Anna Christie is a prostitute. And Mm -hmm. my character, Marthy Owen, because she's unmarried and lives on barges at the the whim of a man, she's Mm -hmm. considered, at that time, a prostitute, even Mm -hmm. though she's very defensive about that kind of title. So they basically are two unwanted, um, un-normal, they're not normal in society's realm of accept, they're not acceptable, is what I should say. Yeah. And so to have these two women talk and then uh, passing the Bechdel test. Passing, yeah, passing this on on stage is something that was revolutionary in itself just to see these two women talk on stage. Yeah. But, the Bechdel test, that's the one where uh, I guess uh, if there are women on stage and they're not talking about men or. or is that the Bechdel test? Oh, I don't know. That, yeah. that sounds familiar, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Just refresh my memory on that. And we, yeah. we, we yeah. do talk about men a little bit, actually. We do, but. But not like, oh, does he like me or whatever. Right, no, no, yeah. yeah. It's different. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I, tell you, I tell you, a stranger, a stranger. my entire traumatic story yeah. in the second scene of the first act. Yeah. 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 Really quick. 
Thank you for reminding me that you were in it. <laughs> I was looking back oh, to say, was Christie? she actually in it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. I, yeah. I, it's, it's the best part ever because it's getting me to Ireland and I'm in one opening scene. <laughs> this is the best. How did um, it feel getting back on stage? Because it's been a while for you, hasn't it? Uh, I was no, I, I, I did uh, Sense and Sensibility last summer. Okay. And also over the pandemic shutdown, we did Beyond the Horizon, still at the Dow House in Danville. So speaking of Pulitzer... Uh, Eugene O'Neill, part of his money and his earnings from his Pulitzer Prizes went to building his home in Danville. Which oh, the barn. At the Dow House, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the barn is where we perform uh, this original barn from 1937 or whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, still standing. Still a barn. <laughs> still, mm-hmm. still a barn. And the mice I saw prove it. Um, it's it's a really great, exciting space. I'm all about barn theaters from my days at UCSC. That was one of our big stages there. Well, big. It's a, it's a barn. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very into barn theaters. But yes, Anna Christie is uh, very exciting because for our cut from the director, from Eric Fraser Hayes, it's just the three primary characters, the dad, the male lover, um, and Anna Christie for the most part. Mm-hmm. And then in the opening scene, myself and this barkeep are in the opening scene. But... Um, yeah, it's, it's a very beautiful uh, thing, and I mostly just get to hear it backstage, but um, Dean is different with what I think you find. Every night is a little different, and how it affects, the finding and how it affects her is different mm-hmm. every evening. Um, her blocking drives her into a corner at one point with her back to the men, and sometimes I can feel... Uh, what's driving her there and then on on other nights I can feel what pulls her out of there and so it's very interesting and beautiful to watch um the little snippet I get what a compliment yeah but yes no it's very moving and um and it's it's impressive because for us in these moments it's an interesting thing from a director's point of view because uh Eric is a very hands-off kind of director Mm -hmm. And he understands the concept that 95% of your job is casting. Yes. If you cast the right people, you mm-hmm. can kind of sit back on your laurels and um, and kind of just see how it goes. I do and not let him sit back. I'm I like, know, no, right? you tell have me. to tell You Talk have to, to insist. Because yeah. he's, he's pretty mellow that way. <laughs> um, mm. But it is exciting. And uh, it's been a really interesting thing to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I was I'm listening back to uh, episode I think it's eighty two of, uh, of of mm. and you had mentioned something interesting. We were talking about technique because we were talking about school, and you were sort of dismissive of school. Oh, shoot. Uh, <laughs> well, no, 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 because you you had made a, you had made a point that a lot of technique, let's say whether it be the Meisner technique or Stella Adler or whatever, that's usually. Um, mostly about someone's language, someone else's language, someone else's perception. Uh-huh. And it's up to the actor to find their own language. So you're not just repeating, <clears throat> doing what, you know, Meisner wants me to do because that's what Meisner says, right. to find your own voice. And it was so memorable that I wrote it down. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, would you, it's, it sounds like, you know, with Anna Christie, you found your own voice. Well, the way you just interpreted what five year ago me said yeah. sounds like a like I will definitely take that interpretation. <laughs> and that's in your words. Yes. Right? Well, technically it's your words. <laughs> right, but you just gave it in yours. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> in a way that meant something to you. Well, that's yeah. the whole point. Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of folks who listen to the A, there are a lot of young actors. As a matter of fact, my, uh, so I, I went to Duke Ellington School of the Arts. Yeah. My niece is in Duke Ellington School of the Arts right now. I'm so proud. Mm-hmm. It's my uh, brother's daughter. And she's in the theater department. And she was asking me all sorts of questions <laughs> when I last visited. And I was like, you know what? Just take what you can. It's sort of like the, um, 
what do they call the stores? All you can eat stores, the uh, like buffet. a buffet. Yeah. You know, you're not supposed to eat everything. Just take what you want. Uh, take what makes sense to you. Yeah. Um, At this time in your life. Right, exactly. So people are listening to this like, wow, should I go to school? Should I spend thousands of dollars and learn these techniques or whatever? Um, you can do that. But like I said, listening to you, and folks should listen to episode 82. Find your voice. Don't just do what the teacher tells you to do because that's the way it needs to be done because someone it's, else says and it. And it's never just found and then done. Right. right. Too. You know, just, <laughs> I want to clarify that. Yes, yes, yes. You're always finding something new. And if you stop finding something, something's mm-hmm. wrong. Right, exactly. You're always working when you're on stage. Yes, life. life. Yeah, like mm-hmm. life. Um, I'm in school right now. Uh, in a graduate <laughs> program, so mm-hmm. of course um, at <laughs> so, SF State. So am I. So so like, oh, wow. Uh, no, but I completely agree. In fact, an actor, I'm taking um, a Studio Three class there because they have a great teacher, and I hadn't had a chance to learn from her yet, so I signed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been uh, exploring through a guest teacher Laban movement, and one of the actors bumped into me after class. Mm-hmm. And uh, Le Bon movement is all about flow and, and different elements and how you apply that to a character. And mm. um, it, this is all very interesting stuff, but it's body-based. Yeah. A lot of actors are head-based and they don't understand how to put things in their body. And so one of the actors bumped into me and she said, oh, this is definitely in that bucket of stuff where it just gets kind of weird and <laughs> I feel stupid doing it. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you sink into it as much as you can and put it on and play and have a good time. And later on, when you're doing a show and somebody casts you in this weird character who's a complete snake and you know it and you feel it and you're like, I don't know how to connect. And you'll think back to this crazy class Mm -hmm. who talked to you about how it is to be a snake. (laughs) And you're going to be like, I can't believe I'm going to use this material and I'm going to totally use it. And I said, so all these things you learn, they're just tools. And the the, the fun is to see how much you're willing to experiment with it. And then you you put it on, you play in it, and then you take it off. And then maybe you come back to it later because it makes sense because I'm cast as a snake and I don't know what it is to be... We did the um, the piece where I wasn't in it, but Kyle was with their lizard people, and they come up on the sand. What was <laughs> yeah. that play? I forgot and, he's gonna kill me. But it was that role players when that was, was it role players. Yeah. And I thought that's a great play part, seascape. a character seascape or mm-hmm. weird, some weird thing. But yeah. what a great time it would have been to have be like Kyle. Don't you remember that Lebon class we took? Come on, man. Yeah. So I feel like that's to me that's the value of school. If you can if you can mm-hmm. afford it, my theory was. Uh, I'm being allowed to do what I want to do so much and I'm going to just dive into all of it to the best of my ability uh, and just be thankful. And if if I didn't have that, I would have found some other path. But I think it's that fun of, it's just a tool in your kit. Like Mm -hmm. I told the actor, I'm like, try not to hate it. Just enjoy it for what it is. Get what you can out of it. Try yeah, move along. You know, right, exactly. I'm like, it's okay if you never touch it again. You know what? That reminds me of from episode 82 now. Yeah, I 82. Remember. Thank you for the numbers. Yeah. Um, is um, I was. I think we were talking with Norman then about yeah. about structure. Yep. And 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 I mean, I even just I talked myself into the corner a second ago. It, it's always finding out your voice yeah. always learning yeah. and the only way to do that is to try everything yep. exactly. you can everything that calls to you everything you're forced to do and not hate you right. know just try it and then it's part of the vocabulary with which you speak your voice mm-hmm. sometime during your life 
Yes. Yeah. It reminds me, so Susan Evans, I, I know that I've been directed by Susan Evans. I don't know if she's directed you. Oh, of yeah. course, of course. Number we of did times. Skin of Our Teeth. Yeah. But um, I remember we did Fear and Misery in the Third Reich, and Susan brought in, at a very early part in the rehearsal period, um, gesture movement or gesture techniques, or mm. you said, listen, I want you to just walk around the stage and do a particular gesture over and over again. And a lot of us are like, what is going on here? <laughs> and we did a gesture, and she's like, okay, that's going to be a part of your character, a gesture that you like, and incorporate that gesture into what you're doing. Right. Um, and it created, it just, I know for me, it created a whole new way of creating a character. It didn't start from the text. Mm-hmm. It started from the gesture. And then I said, okay, so this gesture makes me feel a certain way. So let me incorporate that into now the text and, you know, the beats and all of that stuff. So sometimes you need a director or a school or a particular technique to break you out of your box. A lot of times school is getting you to unlearn your habits. Mm -hmm. You know, you put your hands in your pockets all the time or, you know, you (laughs) I know for me, I would always, you know, raise my hands up like that in front of my face. (laughs) And so we just need to break ourselves out of our habits. And so thinking a different way is a way of doing that. Mm -hmm. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's twelve sixteen, so we better uh, wrap it up. Uh, no, we've had a wonderful conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is great. In real time. As always, thank you, Rich. Thank yeah, you absolutely. So, much, so there are a couple of birthdays. I'll just throw some birthdays uh, out. Uh, John! Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you saw someone. Yep. Ruben Grijalva. I'm looking at a picture of him directing me. I uh, oh, played. I played Cool Papa Bell, uh, who was an old. Um, Negro League baseball player in a short film called um, Shadow Ball. And so this is Ruben (laughs) directing me. Uh, Ruben is fantastic, and he's been a part of um, Playground San Francisco for years until before he got married and has kids. And hopefully, so he's been involved in both film and also um, theater. A magnificent writer. So he's 42 years old. Happy birthday, Ruben. Yay. Uh, You saw someone here. Maybe. Uh, (laughs) Maybe. Uh, John Tracy. Oh, yes. We've had John Tracy on. Uh, he was uh, the, I think, artistic director of theater first, and now he's doing something else. I can't remember what he's, he's doing now. He's with Marin Shakes right now. Marin Shakes right now. So happy birthday to him. Uh, that'll be September the 29th. Colin Johnson. He is a, um, a longtime tech guy. He uh, had been stage managing and doing lights and sounds, mm. and I've been in a couple of productions with him. He's 46 years old, so happy birthday to him. Uh, James Trentrofanti, um, Jimmy Boy, uh, a Jersey guy who came out to the uh, West and uh, he's been, uh, he, he and I have been, I don't know if we've been on stage, I know I've stage managed him, but he was a part of Off-Broadway West before Off-Broadway West closed. Oh, but he was one of these uh, East Coast guys who, you know, really enjoyed um you know, acting and being on stage. So happy birthday to him. He's 58 years old. That'll be September the 29th. Um, and that's it. And there are a couple of shows I've that I want one. to push. Oh, yes. Today, yes. September 30th. So I brought up uh, Las Positas College, uh-huh. uh, the founder and director of their Actors Conservatory, Titian Lish. Her uh-huh. birthday is today. Mm. Right on. Happy birthday. Yeah. Can I do one? Yes, yeah. absolutely. October 3rd, Sherry Slorio. Oh, okay. Who's she? Local actress. Right on, right on. Uh, there are a couple of announcements. So Eric Johnson, uh, he, uh, I, if you look at the pic, uh, the poster of the marriage of Bet and Boo directly behind you, yeah. that spooky guy <laughs> who's getting married to the spooky woman, that's Eric Johnson. <laughs> she looks pretty happy, though. Yeah, yeah. Spooky. It's a uh, manic play, a uh, wonderful dark comedy, Christopher Durang. <laughs> So Eric Johnson, he is now on the bo- a member of the board for the Electric Box Theater, which hmm. is a new uh, theater 
physical theater in uh, Valencia, and they will be the home of theater for dream, uh, the home theater for Themes on the Drop, Themes on the Rocks, Dreams on the Rocks production. And I know Eric, he's been doing a lot of the um, Twilight Zone parodies. And I've been a part of a couple of those, so that's been cool. It used to be at the Darkroom Theater, which is now closed, and it used to be at the Exit, which is now closed, at least the one in San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm glad they found a new home. Uh, Catherine Park. Catherine! Good, oh, you know Catherine. Small yeah, we, world, did a, huh? we did a movie. Catherine. <laughs> yeah, no, Catherine Park, she is a uh, actress and singer. She, she had two albums put out uh, this year. And now she'll be performing live tonight at 9 to 9.30 p.m. at KALX 90 FM. Yeah, she will. KALX Live with Catherine Park and Friends. Uh, she's been on the show twice. And uh, she even bought a Yay jersey. So she's been supportive <laughs> of me and I want to be supportive of her. Mm-hmm. Joel Knopf, uh, he is a local musical writer, and uh, a couple of weeks from now, we're going to have some folks from the Musical Cafe on. Oh, and it's a make them sing! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> make they're sing. definitely going to have bring some coffee. clips. They're yes. going to bring they're going to bring clips of uh, things they've done. Uh, do either of you sing? I think you you sing, don't you? I sing in the shower like a lark. Uh, in <laughs> fact, neither of you have been in musicals, huh? I've done lots of musicals when I was younger, but yeah. I'm too scared to do it now. <laughs> I was I was just I just sang for a twelfth night. Right on. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. So challenging. The musical cafe, they foster budding musical writers. So musical writers, if they're working on a piece, mm-hmm. you could bring in a twenty minute piece. And they'll showcase it for you. It's amazing. That they do they do, that. do they provide like a singing coach? Like if you get a sucker like me who says, well, I'll come and try if you have a coach who will help me. I'm sure there'll be some. There's usually a pianist that you work on and sometimes they'll do some vocal coaching or whatever. But um, no, it's it's fun. I've done a couple of things. I've actually, you know, wrote a little mini musical that was a while back. Wow. Matter of fact, you look at that poster, Nia. I wrote that. Nice. And that was nice. So in any case, uh, Joel Knopf, he's also done that. And he's even gone further. His play The Last Ibex. It's a musical comedy of a guy who's bringing in uh, a animal, an ibex, which I think is an endangered bird. species. Oh, bird? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the picture bird. is like an uh, animal, like a, oh, any case. But in any case, the original cast recording is on Spotify. Nice. So check that out. Uh, also, there have been a couple of folks who have graduated from writing plays to writing actual books. Sherilyn Connolly, a wonderful trans actress, um, has a book out called Beautiful Ghosts, a queer memoir of San Francisco. And she had a reading back on uh, June 7th, but it's on... um, it's on Amazon Books, so you can check oh. that out. Cheryl Lynn has Sherry. a book out. Yes, yeah, Sherry Lynn <laughs> has a book out called Manifest Happy. So oh, that's yeah, available yeah, on yeah, Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> she posted about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Sherry. that's very, very cool. Uh, did I cover everyone? Reg, this is awesome. Yeah. The way you, you go back and you talk about like your guests and friends and, and collaborators' journeys across time. Absolutely. No, it's been a tapestry. You know, the Bay Area Theater's tapestry. tapestry, and, you know, we... You know, we connect and we need each other to support our works and all of that stuff. And people have been supportive of me and I want to be supportive of everyone. And that's what the day is all about. And so wonderful. And it's wonderful to get back and, you know, talk and all of that stuff. And there have been a couple of shows and I want to push some shows. The <laughs> Central Works is doing The Engine of Our Disruption. Uh, that'll be October the 14th through November the 12th. Gary Graves mm-hmm. is directing that. Jan Leifler is actually on stage. She's usually uh, either yeah. producing or whatever. So I'm glad to what see she's title. on stage. Yeah, it, it gets into AI and mm. it gets into Already? <laughs> oh, that's tech and all that stuff. So check that, that out. <laughs> yeah. uh, Rent 
is being done at the South Bay Musical Theater. Uh, Stephen McLeod, I've been on stage with him. We did uh, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. That was yeah. in 2019. Great. Wow. And James Jones, um, I was on stage with his girlfriend. Doesn't <laughs> we, count. Doesn't we count. Did, we did Pear Slices. Uh, but in any case, they're both in Rent. So check that out and have links. So you don't have to look for the show. You just <laughs> click on the link. Because you're good. Ray of Light Theater is doing Cruel Intentions. The last show is tomorrow. So if you can check that out, please do. Mara Sotelo, I was on stage with her in uh, Women on the Verge of Nervous Breakdown. <laughs> So she's in that. I think she's the star of the show. Um, San Jose Sage is doing Bald Sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, like that, that opened uh, September the 30th. Oh. closes October the 8th. Jeffrey Lowe is directing that. Jeffrey Lowe's directing everything. Um, so <laughs> he's not writing that. it. He's directing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everything, Jeffrey. Hear that? Uh, right. Fred Pitts has a one-man show yes. called Aren't You. Uh, Ooh, it had a I run earlier this year, and it had an extension. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's wonderful that The Marsh is doing all these one-people shows. Oh, my God. And it's fantastic. And we've interviewed a couple of folks who are doing that. And matter of fact, I think my next guest, guest after next, is Tina D'Elia, who mm. has a wonderful one-woman show, huh. uh, uh, Overlooked Latinas. Mm. But in any case, Fred Pitts has a show called Aren't You, uh, where he goes to all of these, um, I want to say, Presidio sites in, in, in the Bay Area, actually in California. And people have identified him as, uh, I guess, you know, maybe all black people look alike. It's like, aren't you so-and-so, and aren't you this, and aren't you that? Oh, interesting. And his one-man show is about that. So check that out. And obviously, it's been popular. You know, yeah. he's been selling out, and they've gotten an extension. So click on the link, find out more about the show, and, and, and go see it. Can I right there also plug um, Wayne Harris's Train Stories, which is yes. also The Marsh. Uh-huh. They're on the same cover. Oh, of, nice. Of, of, of The Marsh's yeah. uh, programming season just extended starting again October 12th awesome awesome so the link there you should be able to, yeah. Yeah, to exactly. view both mm-hmm. um, also the last show tomorrow Shotgun Players is doing Wolf Play oh, yeah. directed by Elizabeth Carter uh, Maya Herbsman is the intimacy choreographer and we've had intimacy yeah choreographer and uh, we've had her on the show and it was a wonderful episode where she talked about the whole intimacy uh, life intimacy coaching and mm. how we need to you know be more respectful of each other on stage yeah and the different layers of how that uh, can be useful not just in like oh I've got to kiss this person but in mm-hmm. in the sense of how we start rehearsal intimacy. end rehearsal all kinds of different things that an intimacy an intimacy person can bring for you um, yeah. shotgun there is also I was trying to get a chance to see this mm-hmm. uh, they extended it I think this is the extension is this weekend oh. or next weekend uh-huh. uh, there is availability there to do it um, to live stream it or screen it somehow oh, at home, which we'll I play. thought was something I'd have yeah through yeah oh nice something that they have as an option on their ticket page because I was yeah. And that might be how I get to see yeah. it. Right, exactly. So if you click on the link, they should give you the link yeah. not only to buy tickets, but also to see the um, the stream. Yes, live stream. Laura Domingo in that? Yeah, Laura's in it. Yeah. 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 Wolf Place, so check that out. Before the Sword. Oh, you New clicked on it. Theater. <laughs> Radica's in that one. Yeah. that yeah. Uh, that, oh, that tonight. Yeah, there you oh, go. Good. And it ends October the 15th. As a matter of fact, uh, Kim and Radica, I know Radica will be uh, a guest. Well, she's been a guest both have been on multiple times. Matt yeah. Kim Donovan gave me a picture yes. of her in her jersey. jersey. I saw that. That's right great. on. So that was very cool. Thank Adam's you so in much. That too, I think. Yeah, Adam. Oh, right on. Right on. Cool. So check that out. Uh, it ends October the fifteenth. Mm-hmm. Z Space is doing Citizens. Um, Go Z Space. Yeah, October Steven. the eighteenth through November the twelfth. Carolina Moronis is in that show. And Stephen Flores. 
Steven Flores. I don't know Steven Flores, but yeah, check that out. Echo Yamamoto is has been on a roll Everywhere. this year. Everywhere. Echo, I know. <laughs> Look at that. Echo, she's busy. Right, exactly. She was she, very good in Cymbeline. I got to see Cymbeline. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. adorable. Sort of a 90s version of uh, 80s or 80s rock version from what I hear. <laughs> kind of. I yeah. mean, it was really fabulous. I really enjoyed it. It's one of the, when I was a grad student many, many moons ago at UCSC, that was my thing that I put on with Cymbeline. So I'm super addicted to Cymbeline oh, yeah. and it was a really great production that SF Shakes did. Yeah. yeah. So that's closed, but now she's she's in rehearsals and she'll be doing Disenchanted, which is a, uh, a parody of Disneyland. <laughs> okay. So I have no idea, you know, what that entails, but it appears to be a dark comedy. So she's in that. Oh, dark comedy Disney. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's San Jose really Playhouse good. is doing that October the 12th and November the 5th. Check that out. <laughs> and then after that, she will be in Sleeping Beauty. With Sharon. Yeah, with she's Sharon Chow. She's my co-cat mom. Right on. Oh. December the 1st through the 30th. So check that out. Well, when it when it opens December the 1st. Mm-hmm. San Francisco Playhouse is doing Nollywood Dreams. Uh, that opened September the 28th. So that was just a couple oh, of days ago. And it closes November the 4th. It appears to be a black um, production, so I have no idea, you know, what's going on there. But Angel Adedokan mm-hmm. uh, is in that, and Tanika Baptista are in the show, so click on that link. Mm-hmm. Don't just listen to the yay. There are a couple of podcasts that I want to push. Uh, Barry Graves, he was, I did a play called uh, Four Men in Paris. Yes, and he, and That's right. Oh, that's right. You came to see it. Kim. <laughs> and Kim was in it as well. So Barry played uh, Richard Wright, and he has a podcast called The Black Man's Heart, so check that oh. out. Mallory Samara, her day job is KCBS Radio, and she has two podcasts that she produces. As Prescribed, a weekly conversation with leading medical experts at UCSF, and Mm. also It's Generational, where she speaks to people from different generations, Generation X, Greatest Generation Boomers, about certain topics to see Mm. what their views are. So check that out. Central Works has a... um, a podcast called the Central Work Script Club, where you can download and read a play script and then listen to an audio interview with the playwright semi-annually. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Henney, we had him on. He uh, was someone who I stage managed. We did Mesmeric Revelation. He is now in L.A. and he has a theater company called Theater Dybbuk, which is a Jewish-based yeah. theater company. Okay. And they have a podcast called The Dybbukast. Uh, through a combination of perform readings and interviews with artists and scholars, the Dibicast brings these creations and their historical contexts to life, all while revealing their relationship to issues still present today. Mm-hmm. So check that out. Uh, and the last one is Bendelstiff Studios. They have the Fobcast, exploring Philippine-American immigrant stories. So check that out. And I want to push the A jerseys. They have $30. Yes. We have white. We have black. We have uh, striped pinstripe ones so uh check that out uh you can also um pm me to if you want if you want one and that is it ladies did you enjoy yourselves oh gosh yes, <laughs> yes. talking about art are you kidding yeah, yeah no it was wonderful wonderful i could have gone on and on and on yeah, for a long time it's good yeah as so uh we are on pretty much all of the podcast apps we're on apple podcast we're on spotify we're on overcast we're on soundcloud and now we're on the amazon podcast i don't even know what two of those are yeah exactly overcast is my favorite i've sort of leaning away i'm a i'm an apple nut anyway but i don't know the apple podcast i'm just having some issues with that but the uh the overcast is wonderful um Mm. it's just a good interface but uh you can check out us out on the Amazon podcast. Uh, go to music.amazon.com, search for the A, and you'll find us. Okay. Anyway, you listen to us, it's great. <laughs> the A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, or if you just want to advertise 
advertise yourself. Let us know. Hit us up. I'm at Red Space Clay. Uh, we're on Twitter slash X. I'm debating where we should just <laughs> not do that anymore. Norman is at Hoosier Hoosier. Uh, I know both of you ladies are on Instagram, right? Yeah. Uh, any other social media that people can find you? If people are looking for a director or an actress? As, as my niece might say, the old ones. The old, <laughs> old ones, ones, I know. I, I do need to put up a website and do something, and I haven't yet. So mm-hmm. Instagram is fine for now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely... Uh, media challenged when it comes to social media yeah i don't even know if websites i mean people just usually just click on either facebook or instagram yeah, or you know facebook. whatever it is yeah, yeah or th- there's a new things called threads which i guess mm. you know there's always um, gonna be a new thing yeah facebook would be an easier place to put up like a theater one for me i mean you know what i mean it's like to go make a website is right exactly i think yeah, websites website are being old school daunting but either which way Safe if you're looking school. for a great actress slash director if you're looking for you know you can't go wrong with Cynthia you can't yeah, go wrong with you. Adrian <laughs> and you guys have a wonderful uh, time in uh, when are you guys going to Ireland Tuesday we go what? to St. Louis wow. on Tuesday I caught you right yeah. on time didn't and I? we go to Ireland <laughs> on Saturday 6am flight baby hey Ooh, that is awesome <laughs> no you guys have a wonderful time and um, Reg thank you so much thank you so much oh, this, this is, is wonderful no no this, this is, is really awesome great. thank you so much and thank you for coming on and as Norman and I always say we got to find a better sign-off. And we are out.